0: I shouldn't say weird. Um, yeah, they this, could be a
1: sponsor later. They could be.
2: Hello and welcome to Your Why at Chapelwood Podcast. This is our third episode. Joining me today as my semi co-host, we didn't really do an interview today. Trevor Barnett. Hi. You want to introduce yourself, Trevor?
0: Sure. Uh, my name is Trevor Barnett. I'm the director of the restoration team.
2: Awesome. So, Trevor, how's your week been?
0: I wish I could say good, but I got into a little fender bender on my way here. And last week, I, you know, I've had better weeks, but it's coming around. It's only Monday.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to see it. Give it a take. You have your good and your bad. That's You're about right. to be married,
0: though. I get married in a little over two weeks. No, a little over a week and a half to Sarah Patillo. Yeah. soon to be Sarah Barnett, but yeah, wow. that's yeah, exciting. That is exciting, so not a lot can get me down, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's a, it's a good spot to be in. Yeah. So, yeah. that's awesome. Well, we have a special episode today for y'all, we, it's a little different than the past two episodes we've done in our normal format of an interview, it's more of what I would consider a discussion than I would necessarily an interview where we're asking questions and inquiring about a specific person, uh, but. We Trevor has brought in. You want to introduce who you brought in?
0: Yeah, so Carson Tucker, who is the volunteer coordinator with the restoration team, he uh, has been with us for about a year now, um, and has some great insights into to service and missions. And and then uh, Dave uh, Luther, Dave Luther, uh, long term Chapelwood member, been a great volunteer, a great servant. It's a great conversation about uh, what we've been doing. Well, we've been working on building for the last year and a half, two years um, and, and how things kind of look now um, as we move into new weathering events, <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's, you know, in Houston, you gotta be ready for all, all yeah. weather. We're, you know, we're talking about the restoration team and this um, we're talking about Harvey. We're talking about Melda. I mean, we're only we're less than two weeks at the time of this recording removed from Melda talking about the response of that. And, So I'm super excited for y'all to hear more about that because I think a lot of people, even in Houston, that are directly affected by these storms don't realize all that's going on. And I'm hoping that whenever you listen to this, that you will be able to get a little bit more of an insight. I mean, it's hard in the short time that we have to give a full picture of everything that's happening, but you can understand a little bit more of what's actually going on now.
0: Yeah, yeah hopefully we kind of sh- have shed a little bit of light o- onto it i feel like i've been talking about it non-stop but that doesn't mean people have been hearing me i was excited to do this recording and um, i'm glad that we have the opportunity
2: so. yeah sweet so we're going to go ahead and jump into that uh discussion interview whatever you want to call it so yeah enjoy all right we are here now with everyone and we're going to be talking about Harvey, Imelda, restoration team, everything in between. Uh, but yeah, why don't y'all introduce yourselves for everyone.
1: Uh, hey everybody, my name is Carson Tucker. I am the volunteer coordinator with the restoration team. I've been at this for about a year here in Houston. Uh, i working with the team and excited to see where it takes us.
3: And I'm Dave Luther. I'm a chapel uh, member and I've been at chapel for over 20 years and a lot of my experience has been in mission trips overseas and then I got involved in the Harvey recovery and that got me hooked and I'm away with that now.
2: That is awesome. I think for the viewer or listener that maybe doesn't know what the restoration team is and what it does and how it operates, um, that's something we love to dive into on this podcast is, you know, we want to know the why of the organization. Um, and for the restoration team, I'd love to hear that from y'all and, you know, what that, what that means to y'all.
0: Sure. So um, the restoration team was founded not quite two years ago, um, but pretty close. Um, uh, I currently am serving as the director. Uh, when I first came on board... Uh, to Chapelwood. I was hired as a project manager of Harvey Relief, which nobody knew exactly what that meant. And I don't think I knew really what that meant. Um, But I've had this desire in me to have an organization, be a part of an organization or create an organization that is dedicated to serving people that are on the verge of losing their home or in some sort of need of home repair uh, from a ministry perspective in the way that the local church or even out- outside churches can come in and and serve those communities and i hadn't found a, a group like that specifically from a faith-based organization in houston um, really in, uh, in a lot of areas um, the organization we worked with uh, that i worked for in college the appalachian service project does that with rural home repair, um, and, and helps people. But from a, an urban standpoint, from a Houston perspective, um, and there, there's a couple of organizations out there. So the restoration team is the reason we came up with that name two years ago is uh, I was, we were sitting around the table with people from Chapelwood, people from St. Luke's United Methodist, St. Paul's United Methodist, and Westbury United Methodist. And we didn't think it was right to specifically either continually use all four of those names because that's a mouthful, or to pick one, one church in particular, because we kind of were pooling our resources and, and all supporting this this longer-term effort as we were moving into long-term recovery uh, or mid-term recovery at that point. And so um, one of us, I believe it was Denise. It was Denise Snyder, I think, who came up with the name of the Restoration Team, who at the time was with uh, St. Luke's UMC. And then we kind of came together and said, yeah, that sounds like a great name when we did some quick Googling and realized the only other organization or or entity by that name is some weird, I shouldn't say weird. Um, Yeah, they could be a sponsor later. They could be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a uh, Doctor Who fan club. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a Doctor Who fan. We'd love love for them to volunteer. (laughs) We'd love (laughs) for them to volunteer. Anyway, so uh, we chose that name, and then um, over that next few months and 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 now since then you know we moved into um into filing with the with the state and the government uh to become a, a nonprofit 501 501c3 organization which is currently pending but by, by the irs but um our goal is um to be to be able to respond to engage churches in responding to natural disasters in houston and the surrounding area um i think that's kind of our mission i think that's our mission statement Um, but we're really about connecting the local churches with long-term recovery efforts um harvey is is going to be our our main focus for a long time um, but we've already seen that there are other events that that we will have to respond to um part of that plan um we're not just a disaster response organization right now that's currently what we're funded for by our grantors um but uh, we're seeking additional funding um, from viewers like you, and uh, to to support us in in and not just a disaster repair, but there are hundreds of families in this city um, that weren't affected by Harvey, but are on the verge of losing their home or having a home that is not safe to live in, and that's what we're focused on is is finding those those members of our community. Um, that need just just a little bit of assistance, uh, whether they're elderly, disabled, are uh, young families, um, or just don't know who to reach out to and need assistance to get their home into a livable, safe condition, um, that they can then move from there to, to improve their lives.
3: One of the other things restoration team does quite well, uh, we found this out with Harvey when we first started out, was there was no preemptive, Uh, review of a lot of the people that were having claims and problems. So we just first come first serve and we're finding that a lot of them probably didn't fit the niche that we were trying to work in. And What the restoration team has now worked with quite a bit is they pre-interview a lot of the people that are needing uh, help and qualify it and also rank it. and allows us as volunteers to be able to feel like where we're going is the right place that we need to spend our talent and effort. One of the things as a volunteer that it's done for me, it's given me a vessel, a vehicle by which I can volunteer my time and my efforts and my talents to bring it to somebody and say, now put me to work, where do you think I best fit? And it's a very well coordinated uh, organization that allows you to take that talent and share it. And not only share it, but teach it. That's the other thing with the restoration group is not only are we volunteering working but we've got volunteers that are coming from other areas that have no idea what to do how do i swing a hammer what do i do with a wrench where's the nail go what do i do with that we've got people now that are teaching others how to use the equipment how to use it safely and properly and that's been a big influence on a lot of the volunteers that have never picked up a hammer before
1: yeah it's important to know that you know everyone did something for the first time at one point. And so, you know, you can have a volunteer come in and say, you know, I, I don't know how to use a Circa or what have you. So I'll let someone else do it. Um, Well, you know what, maybe this is your time to learn. Um, You know, everyone, everyone is good for something. Um, And whether that is, you know, coming out and learning some skills, um, whether it's coming out and loving on the family, we can use you. And so when you say, you know, what is the restoration team? Well, you are the restoration team. Um, and how hey, you like that for a sound bite? But <laughs> we're happy to use any kind of volunteers. Like Dave said, you know, we've got folks coming in from all over the country, which is really, really wonderful um, to hear and, and to be a part of. And, you know, we have a ton of hosts here in Houston that'll come and welcome them with open arms and give them. Some hospitality and teach them how to um, build these skills. Um,
2: we a lot of good people. Um, I'd love for you, each one of y'all to share about what God has brought you to in this, what that journey has looked like, maybe what the prayer life has looked like for people to kind of realize how you felt called to come and serve in this way. Um, so. Whoever wants to start us off on
3: that. My, uh, I got hooked uh, many years back. Uh, I realized there was a portion in my life where I just felt like I needed to do something more to help, but I didn't have the vessel by which to do it. And uh, what happened was that a friend invited me to a mission, uh, a repair area that we were getting into and uh, started doing repairs. And one of the things that it struck me as was, the way people responded to you and how good you felt about giving back even though I didn't think I had the skills at the time or the equipment to do it uh, the missionary the uh, uh, volunteer work that we do here provides a lot of that and that inspired me yeah,
1: that's good I started off um, I'd say where a lot of people do um, in high school mission trips um, I can think Uh, You know, shout out to Spring Valley and Methodist in Dallas, Texas um, for taking us on. We would go to uh, the mountains of Appalachia every summer um, to volunteer with the Appalachia Service Project, um, doing a home repair ministry mission trips up there. Um, Decided, you know, I really liked uh, that avenue and that serving element. And so I went to work with them um, for a summer job during college. And then after school, I went on to work with them full-time um, for their year-round program, um, coordinating volunteer home repair up there. After that year in West Virginia, um, I went over uh, to do another year in Kentucky, serving with the AmeriCorps with, with an organization called the Housing Development Alliance. Uh, while out there, um, that's where I met Mr. Trevor Barnett, our fearless leader. He was volunteering <laughs> while I was working out there. And I met him there. Um, we got to talking. Um, you know, we were both from Texas. Um, both like this kind of work. He went back. He went back home to Houston once Harvey happened to start this. I spent another year out in Kentucky, and then after my time ended there, I gave him a call and said, "Hey, Trevor. Um, you know, I see you're doing this in Houston. There's probably a lot of work to be done. Um, do you need any help?" Um, and he said, and right after that kind of God's timing was pretty perfect with that because he just was awarded a grant from the Red Cross to hire a staff under him um so it's you know God's providence right there of when that happened and where you know my gifts could be used at the same time um that this happened and to do it back home um in Texas was was really perfect
0: yeah, um, like like Carson, I got started with missions at a young age in high school, and um, realized that that was a, a very tangible way to practice faith, and and kind of put our faith into a practical, real manner of, of actually serving other others, um, and being committed to to helping other people. Um, so having having experience of about eight to ten years in youth ministry prior to Harvey um, experience on, on mission trips, leading missions, and, and knowing that um, there are churches that want to be involved and want to do stuff. They just don't have the time and the resources to, to be able to, to manage it. So um, Harvey presented itself in, in a very uh, unique fashion, um, and uh, it's worked out. To, to where we're able to provide opportunities for service uh, to a community that's that's desperately in need. The,
3: the interesting thing was also what you mentioned is having the experience and the background on it. Uh, as a member of chapel, one of the challenges we have, a lot of us don't know we have talents until we get put into a position where we, we can practice it. So uh, the biggest challenge we have is trying to get members to come out and volunteer and they're afraid they don't have the resources or the power or the knowledge or experience to be able to get into it and that's one of the things that Trevor and Carson you do the same thing you entice people by giving them the skills and talents and the equipment to go out and practice their faith.
1: Exactly just like Dave was saying you know we're all figuring this out together and a lot of us didn't really know we had the capability to do it you know, Houston wasn't expecting a Harvey, at least not to this magnitude. And so once it happened, you know, we're all just kind of looking at each other and saying, well, what can we do? What do you know? Um, How do you do this? Um, And so we got a lot of people, you know, putting their heads together. We got a lot of smart people and a lot of good people uh, figuring things out, different organizations. And so, you know, there's a lot to go, um, but it's really been, it's been pretty cool to see a city um, just come together like that and use each other's talents.
2: Yeah. I think the really cool thing about all this is the call to action that Harvey brought. Uh, it was something that demanded a response. And whether that response was doing nothing or doing something that like Houston had to respond in some way. And it, even like you know, for people that weren't in Houston, It called them to come down and serve in ways and impact. And I think it's cool hearing, you know, just the little bits here and there. It wasn't like this was a new thought, especially for you, Trevor and Carson, who this is now what you're doing as a job and working. God had prepared a path before you, whether you had seen it or not and knew what it was leading to at the moment. God was going on mission trips, giving you those experiences that would equip you for whenever this happened which I think is a, a cool thing for people that they don't realize is that the experiences of what they're going through in the moment might not, they might not understand why they're doing them or they might not see where the dots are connecting because we don't know down the line what God's bringing us to.
0: Yeah. That's one of the great things. It, it took me a while. I was about a year into, uh, being here at Chapelwood and being on staff and, and, and working on Harvey stuff. Um, at least six months into it, realizing that the last 10 years of my life had been kind of guiding me and preparing me for this opportunity in ways that I I didn't understand or or didn't know. Um, And the same, too, is true with Chapelwood. Um, Last time, actually, I was in this room. uh, It was to shoot a video with Joseph Clam um, and Stephen Simmons to talk about how uh, the summit experience with the Chapelwood students group um, has led up to and and was able to prepare Chapelwood to respond to Harvey in a way that, that they, that was kind of unique. You know, the restoration team has about nine other church partners currently um, and we're looking for more. Uh, But Chapelwood um, really came out swinging the hardest um, because summit had already developed that structure uh for a way to respond to harvey uh very quickly uh, from a manpower perspective from a experienced volunteer perspective and from having tools and resources the physical resources available to
3: it what amazed me a little bit is when harvey hit uh, there's a variety of different entities within chapelwood that all volunteer that serve in different functions you got different mission teams you got the summit and so forth when Harvey hit, it was amazing how well everybody just came together. Saying, "We know we need to do something. How we do it, we didn't know exactly how to do it. So we were learning on that first couple of months how to structure ourselves, how to bring the resources together, find out what was needed. But the desire from the people in the church was there. It it was it just it was a passion to go out and help." Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's
0: continually impressed to me. I wasn't here present at Chapelwood when, when Harvey hit and and in that first month of response, um, I I wasn't a part of that, but I, I knew and and you know, learned quickly just how how well and how that surge of, of desire to serve and, and really be the hands and feet of Christ and, and let that that Holy Spirit shine and and, and empower people. Um, it was really
3: impressive and and really great yeah the other thing that happened is that there was a variety of different needs it wasn't necessarily being physically there and having a muck out a house or rescue a person there was people that were bringing items in there was people that were volunteering bringing food in sandwiches so when you looked at it it was a total church that was reacting to Harvey in some way some fashion somebody was always volunteering and helping that was the nice thing to see. Mm-hmm. But the hardest problem was that was the first month or two. Then as time lagged on, that that passion sort of dissipated because people kept on thinking, well, Harvey's gone. No, it was still around. And we were just going through the cleanup phase and then all of a sudden there was a rebuild phase and a relocation phase and so yeah. forth. So.
2: Well, and I think you bring up an interesting point of whenever you talk about Harvey, I think a lot of people automatically think to uh, the construction efforts, rebuilding houses, all that. But there's so much more that goes into it than that. And there are so many more gifts and talents that are needed and different types of people than just the people who can go out and say, okay, we can muck out this house. There are people who are needed that can donate money. Because mm-hmm. if we don't have money, we can't really do any of this. Right. You know, we need people who can donate supplies. We need people who can come and just be a friend and listening ear to these people who are going through a hard time. And... I think that's such a cool component of all this is that i think you really get to see the body of christ at work in moments like this because it's not we it's not that like we just need this type of person we need a variety of different types of people to respond to events like this
0: yeah we have a a lot of great experts uh in this community in the chapel community um which is is great uh and they came out strong um and since since then things have waned and there, are, there is still a great need. Um, you know, The two year anniversary and, and this most recent flooding I think was a big indicator of how much pain there still is in the community. Um, when, you, when you talk to people, you know, there is that, that level of, of PTSD to a sense and people don't know how to talk about that. I think that's one of the um, big things that, that we kind of miss um, and something from a restoration team perspective you know for the last year have been trying to figure out how to how to tap into that um into that that spiritual and mental health care piece um so that we can assist families that are that are suffering they may be back in their homes but every time it floods you know they worry is is it is it going to come in from the back door again is it going to come up from the floorboards um and then still families that that aren't repaired yet because they didn't know where to go or they they um didn't weren't able to to manage resources uh efficiently and and um I, I think one of the big things that we miss in this community you drive by a lot of houses and you think oh that house looks great the lawn's taken care of and and the house looks clean from the outside but inside there's still a lot of bare studs um, we did a kind of a drive-by and an evaluation of homes um, about two months ago and and um, i've been canvassing homes Um, over the last six months Uh, and there's still dozens of families up and down memorial drive that um, are displaced Um, the home's not for sale the home's not um, but it's not livable and it's not functioning as a home Um, and there's a lot of families that um, still need need assistance they just don't know they either don't know we exist or uh, they haven't been able to reach out to us i think that
3: was one thing that surprised me here it is two years after harvey and he you'd sent me over to her home to start working on it, realizing she was an elderly person that's over 75. This is her only piece of property. This is the only value she really had. And she'd been living with friends, neighbors, families for all this time. And she's still not yet into her home. And that's, that's the thing that sometimes we forget. People are still being outplaced and still trying to get back into their original homes.
2: That's good. So, um, all right. Now we're gonna move into this last part, um, where we're gonna kind of talk about Amelda. You know, we're what a week and a half out from Amelda happening, yep. and um, obviously that brought a lot with it. And you know, also just talking about, I mean, we're two years out from Harvey. I think there's a lot of there's a lot to be done. I mean, I was up in New York summer of twenty eighteen. Uh, doing post-Hurricane Sandy relief, six years after Sandy, and that blew my mind. That we're six years out from this hurricane and yet we're still doing work. Like there are still people that aren't in their house yet. Uh, there were uh, you drive down the street and there were houses like because their new city codes were on Long Island where you had to have your house jacked up a certain amount of feet depending okay. on where you're at. Usually around eight feet. There were houses that were jacked up and then and were just were floating in air because they ran out of money mm-hmm. and that's where it fl- that's where it was and so that blew my mind and gave me a real eye-opening when it comes to natural disasters like this that you know just because you're not hearing about it in the news anymore or because it's faded from memory of you know the rest of the nation doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of work still being done or there isn't a lot of people still needing help so yeah on that <laughs>
0: that's a big that's a big topic yeah well so when when Harvey hit um and after that assessment I mean we had over two hundred thousand family housing units uh single family housing units uh, affected by the flooding in Harris County um and we've come a long way since then I think it displaced over a million people in the 23 or however many county uh area it was um and so that's what we've been working on since right is is helping parse down and find the people that are still in need of assistance there are still hundreds of, of families um on our roles that are that are in case case management that are in need of of uh, assistance we are um our goal for the next 12 months um yeah, through October of, of next year, I believe, of twenty twenty, is to work on another hundred and twenty homes, uh, for that that time frame, and, and we only have funding for about half of that, so um, trying to trying to increase that. Amelda, um, kind of like what we talked about earlier, Amelda um, Im- showed us how far we have yet to go. Uh, before we're really ready for another storm, part of what the restoration team also focuses on is that preparedness factor, helping um, our congregations, our, our church family members, um, be prepared to respond um, and be prepared um, on an individual basis for that next flood. Um, we saw here locally dozens of families up in Spring Branch um, whose water, whose whose homes. Uh, had water from Imelda coming in, so we're talking just ten days ago. Um, by the time this airs, maybe a month. Um, I don't know. we wow, Thursday. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Two weeks. Um, and you know that caught us caught us off guard because all the all the meteorologists were saying by Wednesday, oh, it looks like the worst is is gone, and then Thursday, as we know, was was really that that just completely. Uh, torrential downpour where up in like new Caney, uh, just, you know, an hour North of us, um, saw over 40 inches of rain. When you move to the East to orange Beaumont, Vider, uh, Winnie, um, got 30, 40 plus inches of rain again. Um, and those areas saw close to 50 inches of rain, um, during Harvey. So, um, the, the initial reports that we had been seeing, um, were reported la- late last week. About 80% of the people that were impacted by Imelda, 80% of them had flooded during Harvey. And some of those people had been able to, to rebuild their house and get flood insurance. Um, but a lot of people, you know, one of the families that we worked for this, this past weekend, she was set to, be, to move into her house for the first time in two years. The week after that Imelda hit, she was supposed to move home. And now her home is torn apart again. Um, because it flooded again. Yeah, um, we've been getting uh, daily data updates uh, from AmeldaSurvey.com, which was uh, put together by Harvey Home Connect, which is one of the long-term uh, relief committee partners that that restoration team is part of, the Harris County Long-Term Relief Committee. Uh, Harvey Home Connect is, is also a member of that. And so they they're great about collecting data um as of this morning, um, at about eight am I got the 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 report um, to date. We have over eleven hundred families uh, that had water enter their home again because of Amelda. Um, and so you know we're no shortage of of families to assist, but uh, we have been at a, a shortage of volunteers to send to assist those families. Yeah, so and that's just in Harris County. Harris county is is the the best at reporting. Um, but wasn't the heaviest impacted. Uh, but we have over 1,500 families that have reported damage. But we know um, hardly anybody from Beaumont, from Vider, uh, from Winnie have have reported anything because they had four or five feet of water in their home. So they're not they're not looking at their phones. They're not looking at the internet. Uh, they just know that they, you know, they they were damaged. So a lot of damage was done again, um, even though we didn't see it directly. I know a lot of a lot of families lost vehicles. Uh, actually, Evan, you lost your vehicle because of the So It's a huge thing that, that we can't just gloss
3: over and, and not not respond. I think the other thing that the respiration team, it coordinates with a lot of other volunteer organizations. So one of the things we found in Harvey was everybody showed up at the same house. Then all of a sudden you had 40, 50 people working on one house. Well, right next door, somebody else needed help. So with the a common effort of all these other organizations we've been able to allocate what locations we go into so we split out the team so they are able to hit a lot more people in a short period of time Yep.
1: yeah uh, in the in the world of you know disaster recovery and home repair in houston harris county you know there's a good little fraternity of um, organizations that all work together we're all in the same meetings we are all learn from each other um, sending each other volunteers, sending each other um, projects to work on, sharing resources, sharing data, sharing best practices. Um, so just like you said, you know, we're we're all working at this together, and it's very um, exciting.
2: So as we wind down the interview, um, I always like to at the end to say, you know, give each one of y'all a moment to address the audience and say whatever you want. If you don't have anything you want to say, that's fine. If you do.
1: Yeah, you know, I happen to be here. Um, again, like I said, given the circumstances, um, you know, it's one of those things where I certainly did not expect to be in the, in this position of what I'm doing, um, you know, four or five years ago as an advertising major. Um, and, you know, I say that I'm still advertising, but just for a much bigger client uh, than maybe what I was expecting to. And, you know, I didn't expect to be up and, uh, West Virginia and Kentucky, shout out Britain, West Virginia and Hazard, Kentucky, um, doing affordable housing home repair. Um, and I certainly didn't expect to live in Houston, uh, being the good Dallas boy that I am. Um, but I'm grateful that I'm here. And I'm grateful for everyone that has helped me along the way. Um, and all the volunteers that we get to interact with all the homeowners that um, welcome us into their home. Because that's another thing, you know, we are we're guests in their home. And it takes a lot to um, welcome in that, um, and so I'm very fortunate for everyone that we've gotten to interact with, and I'm excited to see um, where where this goes um, at with the restoration team as you know, a developing startup um, and what the Lord has for Houston, Texas.
3: I guess if if I want to leave a message, it's to those that are out there that have a passion that want to give but don't know how to do it. Open your heart, follow where it's leading you, and don't be afraid to go out and volunteer and do something you've never done before because there's a lot of people that'll support you, but you're going to find out that you're going to get so much in return for giving of yourself to help others. I didn't see
0: myself in this role um, a few years ago. I I've been in Houston for six years. Um, I, I avoided it as long as I possibly could. Uh, but God called me here and I, I couldn't figure out why. And, um, and and here we are. So I, I think there's uh, kind of like what Dave said, don't be afraid to do something. Just um, have faith in the Lord, pray about it, and uh, but, but don't get stuck in the inaction. Uh, get up and, and do something about it and, and, and try. So,
2: All right, well, thank y'all for coming on. Uh, I think this has been a really great talk, and I'm really super excited for people to hear it.
3: Great. Thank you. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Evan.
2: All right, we're back. Man, I hope y'all enjoyed that as much as I did.
0: It was um, just a good conversation.
2: We've talked about this before on this podcast, but you've got to be willing to take that step of faith wherever God's calling you. Um, and sometimes that is... You know, starting <laughs> from the ground up, an organization that is now helping. I mean, you y'all have a number of how many people, like houses or homes or families that you've worked with now. We
0: have impacted nearly or just over two hundred families uh, that we've helped serve.
2: Oh, yeah. Wow, and I mean, it's such an I mean incredible story um, of just how this has come to be. What the stories? I mean, from your story to Carson's story to even Dave being here at the church and now him being so heavily involved with it. Like, like it gives me excitement to think about the future that you don't know where God's bringing you to and what needs he's going to fill through.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the name of this podcast is your why. So why, why do you do what we do? And, and I think the, the three of us this week um, each had different whys that kind of bring us to the same conclusion I would imagine this way with a lot of the people that you, yeah. you talk to through this podcast is it really comes back to that relationship with Christ and how we are able to serve uh, Christ in so many different ways. Um, <clears throat> and he's uniquely prepared us uh, for that.
2: So yeah, Trevor, you want to, I mean, you kind of talked about it at the end there, but maybe how can people get more directly involved with this? All that is with the restoration team, where the needs are right now. And, you know, you talk a little bit about rebuild fest
0: yeah so um as we enter october we're entering into a period of october rebuild fest um but it's not just limited to october we're extending it it's just kind of a, a relaunch um when we when we started this this idea of kind of a marketing and and, and re-engaging volunteers we didn't know a melda was going to happen so that's kind of gave us so, uh, some natural runway but um trying to Get the word out. Get people to understand that there is still so much need because of Harvey. Uh, and now there's so much more need because of Amelda. So you can go to uh, therestorationteam.org. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook at The Restoration Team. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Restoration Team. Uh, you can also find us at chapelwood.org slash Harvey um, or chapelwood.org slash Imelda. Um, both of those you can learn about how Chapelwood um, has responded to each of those storms uh, and how, as a, as kind of the founding partner of the restoration team, um, we're able to continue those, those efforts long-term with other partners.
2: Yeah, yeah. check those out. Um, also, check us out on our social medias, um, Chapelwood UMC Serving. We have a local and a global page on Facebook. We are on Instagram. and We are on Twitter. Um, we post every, every time we upload an episode, we post on there. You can also reach out to me at E Maring, E-N-E-H-R-I-N-G, at chapelwood.org, uh, and email me. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the podcast, ways you want to get involved, things you'd like to see us do in the future. Our call to action this week comes from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, to talk about the body of Christ and how we are, you know, how can the head turn to the feet and say, you are useless, in the same way we as the body of Christ have been designed, and I think we hit on this a few times um, throughout this episode of your gifts, your passions, your um, calling in life, your why that is different. It's unique to you because we each play off of each other. And one is not more important than the other, even though it might seem like it is. You might look up and say, the person, the pastor on stage who's giving the sermon every week, man, he is so much more important than me sitting in the pew. That's not true in it is so much more important uh, that you realize your worth. That we all have the same worth in Christ, and that we we do what we're designed to be done. And that come realizing that comes from furthering your relationship with Christ. And hopefully, through listening to this podcast, you're hearing how what that look like for other people. So your call to action this week: deepen that relationship to further understand who God has designed you to be. Make sure to tune in next time to hear Betty Ann Taylor here on the podcast, and we will be talking about year-round mail. Thank you, Trevor, for being here.
0: Thank you, Evan, for having us.
2: No problem. Y'all have a good week. Bye.